Well, tonight we're in Exodus chapter 14. Turn there if you would. And Lord, thank you again for your word. And apart from it, Lord, how can we make it? Your word truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So a pretty incredible story up to this point where you got this 80-year-old guy who's thinking, I got a few years left to live, a burning bush. God says, your life's far from being over. You're just getting started. And um, you need to go back to Egypt. I'm never going back to Egypt. I, I got rid of that thing 40 years ago. I'm over Egypt. You know, nope, you're going back. Never thought I'd go back, but here he is going back and telling Pharaoh, the greatest empire of the world at this time, the wealth of the world, because remember Joseph, um, 400 years earlier, there were seven years of plenty and seven years of nothing, and he was able to gather the wealth of the world as they came to Egypt to survive and eat for seven years. So Egypt is now the wealthiest, most prosperous nation in the world. And uh, the Jews have become slaves, the Hebrews. And for hundreds of years now, they, they've been horribly treated. The Egyptians realize there's too many of them. They start killing off the baby boys. They're throwing them in the Nile River. And uh, they cried out for God, and, and Moses shows up. And of course, God had told Moses ahead of time, although Moses seemed to forget it, um, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. And this is part of my plan. Because he's going to resist you. He's going to harden his heart. And then eventually, I'm going to confirm his hardness. Boy, this is an important point. Because the Lord says in these last days that there's a point where men don't receive him. He says in, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2. And it says, he hardens their heart so they don't believe. Lest they believe. Because for a good time, they were unwilling to receive the love of the truth. Therefore, God has blinded them, hardened their hearts, that they would not believe. So, you know, there is a point of no return. And this is where, you know, Hebrews 6 talks about it. There's a person who understands God, who has experienced the Spirit of God. But then they get to that place, they just get flippant, and, and, it, and he just says they're past the point of repentance. There is, they've trampled underfoot the cross of Christ. They've insulted the Spirit of grace. And... They've passed the point of ever their heart being willing to repent and come to Christ. So, guys, you say, well, that'll never happen. It'll happen in an instant. Your conscience is seared, and all of a sudden you go from caring about what God thinks and being convicted by your sinful ways to just, I have no conviction. I have no, I have no desire for God. I have no desire against God. I'm just, I just, blah, nothing. And that's a scary, scary place to get. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and one plague after the next, probably over uh, about a nine-month period, uh, a number of these plagues come and ravages Egypt. So the locusts come, destroy their crops, the animals die, and then eventually, a big part of the animals die in the field, and then eventually, the firstborn, whoever doesn't have the blood, on the doorpost of the house, the firstborn of man and animal dies. And so they're burying hundreds of thousands of the firstborn. It could be an infant up to somebody 80 years old. I mean, they're burying all the firstborn uh, that didn't respect it. Now, some Egyptians did. And some of those Egyptians, their firstborn didn't die. And they actually f left with the Hebrews when they left Egypt. And, uh, and so you've got these people, and it tells us that they're burying their kids as the Egyptians are leaving. And, um, and so now we saw that, that by day there's a pillar of cloud, God's presence. By night, a pillar of fire. God is with them. And now they are leaving Egypt. And again, there were 600,000 men, 20 years and older, plus children, plus women, you know, and so you're, you're, you're looking at at least 2 million, probably closer to 3 million people leaving 
Egypt, which was 100% of their workforce. The Egyptians were royalty. They didn't know how to dig a hole or feed an animal or, or probably do anything. They probably, the, you know, they, they were, you know, the upper class. So there was a caste system. You had slaves taking care of everything. So in verse chapter 14, verse 1, so the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now, as everybody's heading out, I, I, and remember he told us in the last chapter that he wasn't going to take them by the 110-mile straight shot, which would be about 10 miles a day, 11-day journey. But I'm going to take you a very different way because you guys don't have the faith to trust me uh, at this point when you face off with the Philistines. So I've got to take you, and we saw later where he said, I took you that way to humble you. I took you that way to, to help you to see that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. And again, the manna, every morning they'd grab the manna, enough for that day, and take it. And of course, Jesus is the manna. Well, anyway, so speak to the children of Israel now in verse 2. And turn and camp before Piarihoth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Bel Zaphon, you will camp before it by the sea. So if you understand what's happening here, they're leaving Egypt and they're getting trapped in. You've got the Red Sea on one side, you've got the mountain ranges on the other side. They're in an unprotected uh, valley. They are between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, but it's sort of between a, a mountain and the ocean there, the, the Red Sea. And so Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land in the wilderness has closed in on them. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it's, it's interesting here. Because God is speaking plainly, but a lot of times we, we can't hear it. And this is where we've got to constantly say, Lord, give us ears to hear. In a minute, Moses is going to be freaking out, and God repeats these two verses to him. I told you, here's what is happening. This was the whole plan. Interesting, we just saw, uh, we're going to see this coming Sunday in the Gospel of Mark, that after Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And there he's attacked by the devil for 40 days. And, and you're going, God, why are you leading us into a trap? Why are you leading us into a dead end? Why are you leading us into the wilderness? And, and God always says, there's no coincidences in my kingdom, right? He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought you think before you think it. I love that Psalms 139. He's hedged us in behind and before. He, he's got it. There's no, there's no accidents. Your ear looks like your ears look because God wanted you to have ears that look like that. Remember Moses' mouth couldn't talk so well and he goes, I made your mouth not to talk so well. That's, that's me. I had a plan in that. It, it wasn't a mistake. It may seem like a mistake to you. It may seem like a disadvantage. Not so. But I'm bringing Pharaoh to be forced to honor me as God and, and uh, get the Egyptians to see that I am the Lord. Now, you say, well, this is an interesting story. You've got to understand, across the world, people know this story well. Now, whether they believe it is a myth or whether they believe it's history, that's up for debate. But they know this story. Probably one of the greatest movies of all times. By Cecil DeMille, you know, it's incredibly powerful. I mean, you can sense God's power in this story. And we're not going to go into it tonight, but you might want to read Isaiah 19. At the very end of that chapter... God says, these three are my kids. These three are my inheritance in the millennial reign of Christ. Israel, we'd guess that one, right? But guess who equally 
Egypt is right there with them. And guess who else? Assyrians, which is basically the uh, huge part of the Arab world today. If you look at the ancient map of the Assyrian Empire, it's all of Iraq and most of Iran and into Turkey and Kuwait. It was just a, a giant, in other words of saying, the Arab world. You, let's, let's stop and, and remember, who was Abraham? He was an Iraqi. <laughs> he was from the Ur of the Chaldees. Okay, if you're on a map and you just go south, about 40 miles, you come to a place today called Nazaria, Iraq. That's where Abraham, the first Hebrew, was from. So again, we've we got we to realize that, yes, these Egyptians right now represent Satan. <laughs> these Egyptians are idolatrous and wicked and killing babies and trying to to, to enslave the children of God. But we're going to see at the end that God has a calling on Egypt. And, and this is where, again, it may seem like, wow, this is horrible. God hates these people. No. Actually, in the end, God lets us know he actually loves Egypt. And he loves the Arab people. Back when 9-1-1 happened and the, the, the horrific bombing, on that Sunday morning, you know, I, I said after that happened, I said, do, do we get it? You know, prophetically, we know God has a heart for these Arab people. We're ignoring them rather than praying for them. And now we are forced to what? Love your enemies. What else do we do to our enemies? Pray for them. Do good to them. Bless them. So as Christians, we are being forced to recognize they even exist. And then on top of that, to, to realize they are in our sphere of praying for them and caring and believing God for their salvation. So uh, as we go on in the last days, um, the Antichrist is going to focus on Iraq. That's going to be his main economic center is right there in Nazareth, Iraq, where Abraham came out of, the ancient uh, area of Babylon. The, the Antichrist is going to come and put up his final economic rule there. And so um, a big part of the Arab people are going to quit believing in Allah and, and look to the Antichrist. The Jews are going to look and believe in the Antichrist. So the Jews and the Arabs are all going to be linked in their believing that the Antichrist is their Messiah. And then because he's going to bring peace, false peace, but it'll seem like real peace to the world. Um, and uh, interesting today on the news, you know, it was the, this guy talking about the only answer to all these problems is one government that rules the world. No borders, just one, you know, government that rules all the, the world. And, and this guy was dead serious, and they were quite interested, and I'm just like going, pinching myself, okay. You know, we're, you know, as a nation, we're in for blessings, guys. Because we were the first country to recognize Israel as a nation in 1948, and now we're the first country to recognize Jerusalem as their capital. You, you bless it. Bless the seed of Abraham, what happens? You're blessed. And it was interesting. They had a list of all the countries that hated this and were against this. And it's all the nations that are going to attack Israel. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and Ezekiel 37 and 38. So it's interesting. Things are getting lined up here. But when we see that God is saying, this is a part of my plan to get Pharaoh to recognize me and honor me, the Egyptians to understand who I am, that I am the Lord. And then we go ahead after the rapture, after the tribulation, in the millennial reign, many of the believers on the planet that make it through the tribulation period are Arabs. <laughs> and God actually lets them set up almost like a temple in Egypt itself builds a highway so all these Arabs can come to worship Jesus in the millennial reign. 
So it's, it's an interesting thing. Isaiah 19, look on that. You can study it out later. But here he told them, and so then it happened, just as God said now in verse 5. Now it was told the king of the Egypt, the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants um, was turned against the people, and they said, well, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So it dawned on them. They get up the next morning, breakfast isn't ready. The cows aren't milked, you know. Nobody got them water warmed up for their bath. There's nobody there to dress them, you know, and they're looking out. It's like a ghost town out here. Like what? Oh, the Egypt, the Israel, they're, they're not even around anymore. The population was most Jews, they said. That, that's the greatest part of the population. So more than half of the population is gone. And they just realized, I'm going to have to cook my own breakfast, and I don't know how. This is, we, what have we done? How did they reduce us to this? Well, it was a process over months of hell coming from heaven and darkness, and it was a pretty, pretty heavy time. But he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 choice chariots. That's huge. That, that's right there would be enough to destroy all of the Jews. But on top of that, all the chariots of Egypt with the captains over every one of them. So every chariot in Egypt, uh, probably thousands of them are all gotten together and they're getting now with the teams of horses chasing uh, the children of Israel. And again, just as the Lord said he would do in verse eight, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he, the Pharaoh, pursued the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So at this point, they're just, God's done this. They're confident as we, as we know that they are going to go to each house and tell the Egyptians, hey, can you give me some gold and silver on my way out? And the Egyptians gave all of their wealth to the Jews. So these Jews are going out very wealthy. And they're going out with the finest of the fabrics and the finest of all jewelry. They're leaving Egypt and, and they're going out, and God's with them, the pillar of cloud by day. Wow, I thought we were going to get beat, out, beat up out here in the sun. And, man, it's actually beautiful. And then at night, the pillar of fire. Wow, we have this beautiful nightlight, and it's keeping us warm. We're not getting that freezing uh, nighttime desert feel at all here. It seems to be comfortable all the time, and we sense God's presence, and they're, they're full of strength and hope and happiness and confidence. But then, verse 9, the Egyptians now are pursuing them, all of the horses and the chariots and the pharaohs and his horsemen and his armies. And you could just imagine how thunderous this is, how scary this is. They're camping by the sea between Perathoth, and they didn't think about it at the time. They're, they're trapped in this area, and all of a sudden, here comes this bottleneck where they're into now this valley and here comes there's nowhere for them to go they can't go into the water they can't climb the mountains and here comes the egyptians just you know interesting in the book of job and job and his buddies thought they had job's dilemma all figured out god starts questioning them and one of the things he said hey job do you know why i made a horse that has a little crook in the bottom of its leg. Do you know why I did that? Can you explain that to me? They're like, no, we have no idea. He said, so when horses were riding in battle in great numbers, it would be intimidating and sound like thunder. That's why I did that. <laughs> and he also said, you know why I made a, a big giant dumb bird that can't fly, the ostrich? Here's God's answer, because I wanted a big, dumb bird. That was it. Just felt like making a big, dumb bird. No, no other big, mysterious reasons. But anyway, here, we, we know that this was God's design. It's thunderous. It's intimidating. It's powerful. And he drew near in verse 10. The children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And so they were very afraid. Fight or flight, right? And, of course, they had no ability to fight. They had no spears. They had no bows and arrows. 
best they probably had was a staff. And that was it. They had no experience. This, all these guys have done is trained to be soldiers. So they got the elite military force of the world charging at them full steam. They have nowhere to go. They have no weapons. They have no knowledge of how to fight anyway. So they want to fly, but they can't fight. So they're, they're, it's overwhelming. To them, what happens? You just sort of psychologically melt down, right? I mean, unconsciously, people will just curl up in the fetus position when they're in that place where they, they, they can't fight and they can't fly. They, they just literally um, emotionally just break down on the spot. That typically would happen. So you could imagine the, the deep fear they had. And of course, we, we know too how, how destructive on the psyche it is for somebody to be enslaved and to grow up and you start to realize we're at the lowest part of the caste system and we're slaves. I was born a slave and I can't do anything about it. And you have ambitions and desires, but at the time you're 13, 14, 15, you realize, I've just got to accept this. I'm nothing but a, a worthless slave. So again, you, you just, you can't imagine how oppressed they already were. They got to literally take their baby out and throw it in the Nile River, if it's a baby boy, because Pharaoh's commanded it. I mean, it, it's just, it's overwhelming to just look at how precious and hurted, hurt and intimidated and psychologically oppressed these people are. And, and, and Pharaoh's fine with that. And now he's just coming just to smash these oppressed, simple uh, people. I mean, it just, just try to get the heart of God on this, you know? It's just like who, who you know, as Americans, we've had nothing but victory. You know, we, we only know triumph, you know? So it's, it's hard for us to imagine a culture where people have been defeated over and over and over again. It, it literally makes men infeminate. They, they literally quit trying to lead. They quit trying to, to be masculine. And there are societies that I've been in that are like that, that I'll leave unnamed at this point. But anyway, they were afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's a good sign. Wow, that, that's faith. Years ago, I was with my wife, Cheryl, and we were in our little Toyota van, and we were coming back from L.A., and it started raining. You know how the roads can get the first rain of the year. And we're just cruising along, and all of a sudden, that little van just starts turning around like a top. And immediately, we were crying out, Jesus! Just crying out. And then finally, it, it stopped and hit, bumped a little Volvo, like $1,800 damage, you know. But anyway, I, I do know that when people are in the moment and their brains are sort of overwhelmed, that what comes out of their heart at that moment is what really is in their heart. Often people will curse and swear and blaspheme God and, and surprise to themselves that that's coming out of their mouth. It's, it's interesting, as Jesus said, there are times where it's true that out of the abundance of the heart, or the, under the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it, so it's just a good sign. But in verse 11, so they said to Moses, and they're angry with him. And again, this is, this is what happens when you're grieved, right? What's one of the first steps of grief? It's anger. One of the, it's the same with fear. When you're afraid, you start blaming each other. You start getting mad at each other. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm angry at you. I don't even know why I'm angry at all. I, it's not the emotion I think I'm feeling. But yet, that's what's coming out of my mouth. I sound agitated and hateful and angry and blaming you. And I, I don't feel that way. But yet, that's, that's what's happening in the moment. And so they start blaming Moses. Because there's no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in this wilderness. Whoa. We're going to see this happen a lot 
with Moses. And I might add, this is the price of leadership. You know, I, I, I've seen it many times where guys are like, hey, I want to teach a home Bible study or disciple or, hey, I want to, you know, and, and it's like, man, you know, am I going to be interesting enough as a Bible study leader? Am I going to be a good enough leader to teach these people? And, and, and typically when they ask people like that, we just laugh. And we're just like, that is going to be the last thing you're asking in a couple of weeks. The question you're going to be asking is, can I handle getting beat up? <laughs> And, and mistreated by people I'm trying to love and serve and help. And yet, you know, as soon as they're feeling the pressure, they, they take it out on the person trying to lead them. Because, I mean, if a leader's leading, right, we are bending their will. We are trying to change their mind. I mean, in essence, we're all here tonight saying, I'm coming here not just to hear what I know, but I want to be challenged to do better, to be better. And, and I, I know there's things that I need to hear that I don't want to hear, but I need to hear them. And, and it upsets me to hear them, but I appreciate it. But it makes me mad, too. And, and that's the way it is in marriage, right? <laughs> that it, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Iron sharpens iron. So one friend sharpens another, but what happens when iron gets together and starts sharpening? Sparks flying, things start getting heated up, but that's the only way you can sharpen things up or bend it. And so, yeah, Moses took them out of a comfort zone, and he has been bending them, bending them, bending them, saying, it is your will to get out of slavery, and you don't want to pay the price. I mean, this is, this is the way it is. We want change. And then the leader starts changing things. We want change without anything being changed. We want change. We want that outcome. We just don't want to do anything to get to that outcome. And, and that's where it's ridiculous. You know, that's, our, that's what we all want. Nobody wants change, but we want things better. But to get things better, there has to be change. And a change is always uncomfortable. And so Moses has been there in his leadership, directed by God 100%, only doing what God wants. They're going to keep saying, this was your plan. This was your idea. You had these big thoughts. You came here to Egypt. We were fine before you got here. You put all these thoughts in our head. You're the one who got Pharaoh all upset. You're the one, you know. And th this is normal. This is, this, is, this is what you are as a parent, right? I mean, as your kids get older, you're the wall and they just pound up against you. You're so mean. You don't love me. You don't trust me. You don't care about me. You, you know, all my friends get to do this, and you don't, you know, and it doesn't matter how much you buy them, you're, you're mistreating them. They're living in poverty, you know, somehow, you know, because all my friends get to, you know, if it's Disneyland trip or if it's France, you're going to fell somewhere. They're going to hit the bottom of your money and, uh, and, and tell you that you're not providing for them. And, uh, and so it's, it's the same old, same old. And, and you're just, you're thinking like going, had I known they would be teenagers, I never would have bore them, you know? <laughs> if I knew how painful it was when they're, in their late teens, get coming into adults and trashing everything you've taught them and everything, you know, and it's just like, this is, and then you take it from the day they were born till, you know, they're 30. It's, there was very little time of joy and a lot of time <laughs> of grief. And, and, uh, and just in case you guys are thinking, well, once they're 30, then it stops being painful. I'm sorry, guys. And, uh, and, and of course, the whole point is, it's you. You know, Moses is like, you're right. I'm such a failure. I should have just kept being a shepherd. I should have argued with God more at that burning bush. I am a horrible leader. You know, I, I am. I'm a horrible parent. My wife left me. I'm a horrible husband. My wife is a forest. She went back. And my kids, they don't, you know... I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to be a leader, but all of us are called in some place or another to be that. And you're standing because God has called you to stand, and you're the wall, 
You're the bridge. You're, you're, the, you're the guy who's having to, to, to do a very thankless job. And this is why the Bible continually tells us that our labors are not in vain in the Lord and God is holding our reward in heaven, right? So you guys are being the wall and being faithful parents, consistent as you can. We're all failures, especially if you live in the house and over years, you're gonna seem like more failures than things you do right, just seems that way. But God knows, and he is gonna reward you for being parents, for being leaders in whatever fashion. And if you stop to say, is this worth it? It's not, most of the time it's not, but it's, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have a choice. It's like Moses didn't have a choice. Well, in verse 13, so Moses said to the people, number one, don't be afraid. This is same old, same old, isn't it? I mean, this is you guys. If you're making a decision out of fear, 99.99% of the time, it will be the wrong decision. But the idea of the relief I would feel the moment I make that decision, it's overwhelming. It's like getting a massage, you know? It's like, oh, I wish I could get one of these like 23 hours a day and then 24 hours of the day live life. I mean, it just, oh, this is so great, you know? Just the sense of relief of like, oh, I want to get this fear, get rid of this fear. How wonderful that would be. No. Guys, take your fears. God's brought you into this place between Migdal and Pyariah. He's brought you into this valley of Zephon because he wants to show you him in a way you'd never see if you weren't in a place of fear. So you're in a place of fear, you've been in a place of fear, you're in a place of fear, or you're going to a place of fear. It's, it's repeated. And you say, well, if I were a millionaire, how many millionaires this last year have killed themselves? You know, they, 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 they're famous, they're wealthy, and, and they're to so depressed, so fearful, so full of anxiety, they kill themselves. No. Then secondly, stand still. Faith doesn't move in haste. Faith, you know, Psalm says, be still and know that I'm God. There's that point to say, you know, I remember back in the Y2K. Remember that, guys, if you guys are around? All the computers were going to stop, so we're going to have no water, no electricity. We we're all going to die within 10 minutes. And, uh, and, and people are like, well, what if we don't have any food? Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to all lose weight finally. <laughs> finally. <laughs> but what if I don't have a job? We're going to finally take some time off like we've been talking about, you know? <laughs> Once I get wealthy enough, I'm going to get a big thing and sit under a tree and drink a glass of tea. Like we're spending 40 years to finally get to sit under a tree with a glass of tea without <laughs> thinking about anything. Well, you know what? If everything's shut down, we're going to sit and have a glass of tea and have a lot of time to talk, no electricity, nothing to distract us. You know, that'd be pretty good. I, I actually thought this last week, an incredible idea. We should have a national, at least one day, maybe a weekend, no technology. But then I started thinking, well, we don't have to try to get the whole nation on board. We can just do it, you know, once a month, the first day of every month, no technology, no TVs, no cell phones, no computers. Oh, that, man, that makes me just happy just thinking about that. It makes me rest like in my soul. And then I thought, you know, that's probably a good thing to start teaching in parenting classes. Just like, you know, Friday night sundown, sundown, you know, the day of rest, you know, the, in, in, the, in the Jewish movement, the Sabbath, they can't be a part of any technology at all. Everything has to be shut off. They can't cook food. They can't, you know. I thought, man, we, we need this. So be still. Be still. It's healing just to think about it. And, and take a big breath. If you die, 
Well, what if we, Y2K comes and we, we lose so much weight, we die? It's like, we're going to go to heaven. I mean, it's like there is no downside on this, guys. Well, what if the Egyptians come and kill us? You're going to go to heaven. But what if they, you know, it's like, guys, there is nothing man can do to you. Jesus said, don't fear him who can destroy the body. Only fear one, and that's the one who has power over eternity. That's it. What if I don't go to heaven? Worry about that. Yes. What if I go to hell? Yes. You should worry about that. That's it. And as man has no say in that, thank goodness. It, it's simply between you and God, and, and God is for you. He, he's wanting you to take that fear away right now. He doesn't want you to have that fear. And then the third thing, so don't be afraid. Stand still. Die. Go to heaven. Starve. God's going to take care of you. He'll bring men out of heaven or bring birds to bring you loaves of fish like you did Elijah or, or bread. Or he, He's going to do it. And then the third thing is, see the salvation of the Lord. I, I was talking to a pastor today, and we were just talking just at the times we have seen God's hand, you know, back in the Jesus movement. And then even over the se last several years, you know, it, it was, it's just the power of God. It's just like God's in it. And there's just nothing more joyful that can exist than to see God's hand in your life. To know God's, this is God. I can tell you God's hand is on this. You know, I, I had somebody, uh, Greg Opine asked me, well, how do you feel about, you know, Phil taking over the church? And I'm just like, ah, just nothing but joy because I, I know God's in this. It's just nothing but joy. It's just, there's nothing sweeter than just seeing God do it and, and being a part of whatever he's doing. I mean, if God said, start having Wednesday night service at midnight, if God was in it, we'd all be out here at midnight just full of joy going, why didn't we do this sooner? <laughs> I mean, if God's in it, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just amazing. And, and so... If I, if I came to you and said, do you want to see the working of God in your life in an hour from now? What would you say? Man, yes. Okay, you're going to be completely afraid <laughs> the hour before that. You're going to wonder if you're going to die. And you need to just trust God and be still and just wait for God to do what he's going to do. That's, that's our life, guys. That's virtually every day. We can start the little thing. Well, what if the economy goes bad? Well, what if the banking system trashes? Well, what if all the computers quit? What if I lose my job? Well, what if the, you know, it's like you can just start going. It's, you know what? I'll tell you what's going to happen. We are going to see the hand of God. Because we don't have to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or wear. God, who takes care of all things, are going to take care of you. Luke 12, verse you need to memorize, or Luke chapter 12, it says, I don't know what verse it is, it says, fear not little lambs, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. We are getting the kingdom of God. We're going to be kings and priests. We have nothing to fear except are we in the will of God? And that's not fearing because he's going to punish us, but because that's where the sweetest place on earth is, is to be right in the middle of his will. And then I love this. He will accomplish for you today. You are going to see the salvation of God today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again forever. These particular Egyptians are going to die and they're going to be separated from you for eternity in hell. These wicked, evil slave owners, oppressing slaves, killing babies, these guys are going to be dead forever. The Lord will fight for you in verse 14, and you shall hold your peace. God's got this. Sit still. 
A lot of times, that's basically what your kids want to know. That's a lot of times what your wife wants to know, your husband wants to know, as a pastor, as a leader. Is it going to be okay? <laughs> and, and the answer is, guys, God's got it. There is no coincidences in God's kingdom, right? God turns all things around, right? Even though I choked on that, it, <clears throat> it was physical only, not spiritual. Um, God turns all things around for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we can just simply say, but this is horrible. I've got cancer. This is horrible. My child's dying. This is horrible. I, I, you know, finances. This is horrible. It's like, sit still. And you are going to see the salvation of God. Well, but this guy's being evil and that guy's attacking and that guy's lying. And that, you know what? God and his timing will judge those who have been evil, those who have been wronged and those who have wronged you. God will do it. Vengeance is his. He will repay for you. Love them. Pray for them. Do good to them. Wait for the hand of God and he will do it. So I'm I'm blessing you guys. I'm, I'm not only getting you out of Egypt, but now as you go out in the wilderness, you know what you're going to have to worry about anymore? The Egyptians coming for you anymore. I've taken out the next heir to Egypt. His firstborn child is dead. And now I'm wiping out every chariot and every soldier is dead. You are not going to have to worry about Egypt coming after you again. Isn't that pretty radical? And this is, what, this is what the Bible says of us, guys. God delivered them, so he's bringing them out of bondage. The picture of being born again. He's bringing them into salvation, into the promised land, right? They're in the process. But does the devil say, oh, I've lost this battle. They're already born again. Forget that. Go on to somebody else. What does he do? He says, well, the seeds are planted, but not so deep that I can't rip that seed out. And he starts trying to bring trials and difficulties and why that, that, that little root system is growing deep. He's going to try to stop it, right? Matthew 13, the seed that falls, he's going to try to grab it before it gets rooted. And this is what he's doing. Satan is now saying... You may have salvation by the mighty hand of God, but I am going to do everything I can to stop it. You're not going to make it to the promised land. And, and, and this is a reality that, that, that we, we've got to tell people being born again is not a walk through the park now. And unfortunately, sometimes people preach the gospel that way. Oh, you want to do better financially? Come to Christ. You want to have a happier marriage? Come to Christ. You want to lose weight? Come to Christ. You want, you know, chocolate to taste sweeter? Come to Christ. You know, if you want to be happy and walk around like you're, you know, walking on air, then come to Christ. And then people come to Christ and they're going, I'm getting attacked. Things are harder in my marriage. Things are more difficult at work. I don't, you know, I've been, I've had this cold ever since I came to church that day. I, I've been coughing, you know, it's like, what? I thought coming to Christ, everything's going to be better. No. If somebody told you that, that is just wrong. You're coming to Christ because he alone is the way of salvation. I love that, that story that Ray Comfort tells where, you know, if you're on a plane and the stewardess come and says, hey, here's this parachute. If you put this parachute on, this 50-pound parachute, you're going to enjoy your flight more. You're going to enjoy sitting here. You're going to enjoy the food and you're scrunched and it's all uncomfortable and you're pushed forward into the seat in front of you and, 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 and she's trying to give you a drink and you can't even get the food or the drink. You're like, you're lying to me. This is miserable. But if she came and said, we've had two of the four engines cut out and the two that are running are smoking here is a very uncomfortable parachute. It's going to be miserable, but in a minute we're going to open that door and you're going to want to have it, right? And this is what Ray said. He says, look, salvation is not something to make us happier or more fulfilled on earth. It is our parachute. It is the only way of salvation. 
So it doesn't matter if it's heavy or doesn't look cool. It's the only way. So he's saying here, guys, you're going out. It's going to be difficult. Satan's not going to stop. He's going to keep pounding you. But you're going to get to see God's hand in the midst of Satan pounding you. And, and he's going to fight for you. And just be still and let the Lord show himself mighty in your life through all of these difficulties from man and Satan. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 15, why do you cry to me? So Moses was going, guys, everything's fine. Be still. God's got this. And then he's like, goes back there going, God, help us. Lord, oh, I don't know what's going on. It looks like we're going to be dead. Oh, help us. And, and God says to Moses, look, this applies to you, Moses. Don't be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of God. This isn't, there's nothing to pray about. Get out of here. No more praying. Go, go do what I've told you to do. Tell the children of Israel, go forward. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the heart of Egyptian. Now, he's going to repeat what we just saw back in verse 3 and, and 4, or excuse me, verse 4. He's going to repeat that verse now. And indeed, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They're going to follow them. Um, so I'm going to gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord whom I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And so I am doing what I told you back in verse four. Um, what I, I told you I'm going to do, it still stands. So get off your knees. No more time need to pray. I've answered the prayer. You just now need to walk in faith and what I've commanded you to do. And the angel, notice there's a capital A there in verse 19. This is the word in Hebrew for messenger, or in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. This is Jesus. Remember it said an angel was at the burning bush, but then later it said, then God said from the burning bush. So he went before them, Canthbeers, so moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went between for them stood behind them, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud of darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all night. So the pillar of cloud remained at nighttime, and it was a fog, and so Egypt has slowed down and stopped. I, I grew up in Central California. I've seen toll fog. A matter of fact, one year, we came back from Disneyland like 2 in the morning, and, and I, I drove one part of Bakersfield where I lived, and, and uh, I was able to sort of go on the freeway and find the off-ramp, and then I got into my neighborhood, could not see, literally the hand in front of my face. I had to just stop the car in the middle of the road, praying I didn't get hit, and I had to walk over and, and feel where the curb was. I had no idea where I was. And I pulled the car over and parked it at a curb. And I just started walking down a sidewalk. And, 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 and I would go up and see a pole finally. And I would have to climb the pole to try to lean over and see the name of the street. But it got so bad, I couldn't even do that. I, I, I was trying to climb, it was wet, and I was trying to get up, and my sh everything was wet, it was freezing, it was, the fog was that thick. And I just started praying and crying out, and I, it took me hours, and I finally uh, got home, and uh, I, I, I was near dying. So I know how bad fog can get. And so the Egyptians with this fog are just stopped. They can't even move an inch. Even though they're not very far from Israel, they, they can't advance. They can't go forward because God's made this fog and darkness for them. And uh, so in that time, Moses stretched out his hand like God said over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back on, on uh, the east wind, come in by night and made the sea into dry land, not muddy, 
completely dry, and the waters divided, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. So um, people that, that can't believe in miracles, okay, if you can believe in the beginning of God, then you can believe the definition of God, which anything can be done, right? Well, how can Almighty God come into human flesh? Well, can't God do anything? I mean, well, how can God speak from a fiery bush? I mean, it, really? God can't speak out of a fiery bush <laughs> to Moses? God, I mean, God can do anything. He can make a zillion angels. He can make man. He can make earth. He can make the universe. There's nothing hard for God. And... And so they say, well, this is probably the Reed Sea, which was just a few inches thick. And it is possible for like a Santa Ana to come through there and push the waters back and quickly dry the land. And so it was probably just a, a section not of the Red Sea, but the Reed Sea. And it probably just a few inches deep. And, and, and it looked to them like a big thing of water, but really it was just a few inches thick. And uh, understand, okay, you say, okay. Then the miracle was that the entire Egyptian army was drowned in three inches water <laughs> once, the, once the Santa Ana stopped at the moment, you know? So which is a bigger miracle? That they walked there on dry ground or that the entire Egyptian army with all their chariots and horses drowned in three inches of water in the Reed Sea? Either way, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, we're gonna end there tonight. Um, so um, read ahead. If, you're, if you say, man, I have no idea what happens, um, and I, I can't wait till next Wednesday, read ahead. And uh, we are going to sing a song next week, okay? And we'll practice it right now, okay? And it's, it goes like this. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider cattle into the sea. Throwing in the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord is God, my strength, my shield, and how become my victory. The Lord, my God, my strength, my song, has now become my victory. Come on up here, Bill. you got to help me out. Let's all stand up. We're going to end here. It's out of the, so, it's, it's, the song's in the Bible. It's, it's out of next chapter. Yeah. I will sing, sing unto, unto the Lord. No, 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 no. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord, my God, my strength, my song, has now become my victory. The Lord, my God, my strength, my song, has now become my victory. Okay, you guys are practice up for yeah. next week, right? And it can be done at around. The girls okay. remember. Close in prayer for us. Lord, bro. thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the victory that we can see your hand in if we'll only stand still and wait on you. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, amen.